The pandemic shut down Arizona's giant share of the sports industry. It also closed casinos that are economic engines for Native American tribes. The new frontier in gaming is state-sanctioned sports betting and daily fantasy contests. Most of the money is online. So how many sports gamblers would still go to a tribal casino if they could just wager with their phone? From KJZZ Original Productions, I'm Matthew Casey, and this is Empty Seats, a podcast about the pandemic versus a sports capital. This project told the history of how Metro Phoenix became a monument to sports with pro franchises from all the top leagues and more. You've met local people hurt by the virus's effect on the sports industry. We've visited businesses that normally benefit from being located near sports venues. And I've asked how long until fans can once again occupy all the seats at our many ballparks, stadiums, and arenas. The final episode of Empty Seats wonders if potential revenue from legal sports gambling in Arizona could help recoup what the virus has stolen. I was a kid when Pete Rose was caught betting on Major League Baseball. The penalty was severe, a lifetime ban. Rose is the all-time hits leader, but he's not in the Hall of Fame. Professional sports leagues long worried that gambling interests pose a threat to the integrity of their games. Lawyer Daniel Wallach started a firm focusing on sports gaming. Because the one thing, the one unique attribute of of these contests is that we don't know what the final score is going to be. We can't, it's not scripted like professional wrestling or daytime soap operas. Daniel is also a law professor and analyst for the sports news website, The Athletic. Pro leagues were major backers of a federal law that quarantined sports betting to Nevada and a few other states. Daniel explains New Jersey made a federalism challenge to it and won at the Supreme Court in 2018. That is sort of the point of demarcation at which the leagues had to quickly pivot from uh, opposing sports betting to now lobbying state legislatures to ensure that if sports betting was going to be a form of gambling that those states allowed, that they would have something to say about how the um, you know, state-approved sports betting system would work. Legal gambling hikes a sports visibility and public engagement, Daniel says. It's another way for owners to get more sponsorships, advertising, and revenue sharing. So the leagues are going to make a lot of money from regulated sports betting. And I think they're beginning to see the evolution or at least the the positives outweigh the negatives so long as it can be operated with sufficient safeguards. Axios says 19 states have legal sports betting and a half dozen more have passed bills. Arizona is not one of them. Daniel says if he were the owner of one of the Metro Phoenix teams, he'd urge state officials to legalize, plus allow mobile betting on phones and at his team's venue. I want to be able to put my facility into use 365 days a year, you know, 16, 18 hours a day, because on days that the team isn't playing at home, you can have a fully operational sports book at your site. Tribes in Arizona have near total control of gaming at their more than two dozen casinos. Negotiations with the governor's office on compacts that empower the tribe's control have been going on for years. I reached out to the Gila River, Salt River Pima Maricopa, and Tohono O'odham Nations to talk about the prospect of sports betting. I chose them because they have sponsorship and naming rights deals with local teams, their own spring training venue, and a casino very close to one of the local sports shrines. No tribe said yes. 
if they have exclusivity within Arizona and they could participate both mobily and retail, uh, that would be a game changer for the tribes economically. Because if you see the numbers coming out of New Jersey, the handle annually is in the billions. In gaming, the word handle means the total amount of money that is bet. So what Daniel is saying is that people in New Jersey wager a lot on sports. But Jersey allows brick-and-mortar sportsbooks and lets people bet on their phones. Mobile betting could slash casino traffic in Arizona. So if the tribes depend upon a significant level of uh, visitation to their tribal properties, there's the risk that if they're not the ones controlling it, Uh, but others control it, they're going to lose significant walk-up business. Imagine for a moment that new gaming compacts give tribes control of mobile sports betting. Daniel says it would raise a potential legal hurdle in the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act. Because of the the way that this federal law has been interpreted, there's some open question as to the extent to which tribes can participate in mobile wagering. And if they can't do it, they don't want anyone else doing it either. A potential compromise, Daniel says, would be to give the tribes exclusive control over sportsbooks. And give them the opportunity, at least for mobile devices, to partner with uh, companies like MGM, William Hill, DraftKings, or FanDuel. Those kinds of opportunities of being able to have an internet partner would raise the revenues for the tribes substantially. Britannica Encyclopedia says a part owner of the NFL team now named the Las Vegas Raiders created the first fantasy football league in 1962. Nearly 46 million Americans played some kind of fantasy game in 2018. And for most, it was football, says the Fantasy Sports Gaming Association. Chair Stacy Stern manages a half dozen fantasy pigskin teams right now. And what other fantasy sports do you play? Baseball mostly. I am terrible at NBA. Um, although I love watching the NBA and the Bubble Suns were so much fun this year. Um, But I need to get better at fantasy basketball, and then I love fantasy golf and fantasy college football. Stacy grew up here, went to ASU, and then moved away. When she came home, a friend urged her to apply for a job that had a connection to her fandom. And by the way, there were not many women in fantasy sports, still not a lot of women in fantasy sports. It's getting better, but I really saw an opportunity for myself as a female sports fan to carve out a niche for myself, but also try to find more women and be more welcoming to women in the space. She spent almost 20 years in the industry. The group Stacy chairs says fantasy sports are games of skill, and that makes them different from betting. Stacy says she's never even made a traditional sports wager, like picking the Cardinals to beat the Bills next weekend. And I love fantasy sports maybe more than almost anybody I know. I think the reason is I love the competition. I love proving that I am smarter and that I am better. And especially as a woman, I love playing against men, and it's that cerebral sort of competition. The year before the Supreme Court ruling that gave states the option to legalize sports betting, Stacy became the government affairs director for FanDuel. The popularity of fantasy sports was skyrocketing in North America, and Stacy's skill set has helped open a new frontier for the gambling industry. FanDuel offers traditional gaming and paid daily fantasy sports, but not in Arizona. And this is different from when you play with your friends and there's a pot and then the winner takes the entire pot, right? She explains FanDuel charges a roughly 10% administrative fee. So do other companies. 
and that is considered gambling. And so that's why we don't offer our products here because that's that legal gray area where this is an any chance state and it's a little bit of chance when you're putting together that roster. And because daily fantasy sports are considered gambling in Arizona, it would be a violation of state gaming compacts for a company like FanDuel to operate here. I imagine that the tribes would love to be able to find a way to generate more revenue in a meaningful way, and sports wagering is just one of those pieces. Um, I think the state is looking for an opportunity to do that as well, and so that this is just one of those pieces. Um, and I think they're probably all looking at modernizing the gaming compacts. You know, I mean, these are 20-year-old compacts. Stacy believes that talks between the tribes and the governor's office are ongoing. But there was more momentum before the pandemic, and election year stakes eclipsed everything. What happens if a new deal doesn't have sports betting? I would be flabbergasted if the tribes and the state did not find a way to introduce sports wagering into Arizona in the next couple of years. Governor Doug Ducey called the Supreme Court decision positive. He told Capital Media Services that it gave the state options that could benefit the general fund. Sports mega events and tourism are just a couple reasons why Stacy thinks Arizona is an attractive market. That to me makes this state a real gem because of the growth and because of the teams that are already here and this sort of, sports is part of the fabric of this state. In a perfect world, what does legalized sports gambling look like in Arizona for family? Oh, wow. So I, I think what it looks like is you'll have multiple uh, sports books across the state, physical retail locations where people will go and gather and watch games and place wagers on games. Um, but the biggest piece, I think, will be that mobile sports betting piece that the FanDuel, the DraftKings, the William Hills of the world can offer um, because people we're seeing across the country want to be able to do it from their home or maybe in a sports bar or a pub or a tavern with their friends. What Stacy's describing would mean that tribes do not get exclusive control over sports betting under new gaming compacts, a major change from the status quo. The tribes should certainly be a big part of whatever happens in Arizona, and I think this is it's really set up for them to make decisions on how they want to best help set up sports wagering. But yes, companies like FanDuel and DraftKings, um, who are really the largest mobile and online sportsbook providers, should be part of the market because that's where the bets are coming in. Stacy argues that Arizona leaders should want those big companies here to help draw sports gamblers who bet illegally out of the shadows. They must be convinced to leave the black market for the state to get the most out of allowing sports betting. Because people know the brands and they trust the brands. And that's a really big piece of moving people from an unregulated offshore market into a legal regulated market. Brand recognition. Same day bets and gambling on events already in progress are big growth areas, Stacy says. What event here would be best suited for this? I mean, I think locally it would be the Waste Management Phoenix Open. I could definitely see people out on the course, um, especially those in-tournament bets, right? Legal sports betting could even be viewed as a kind of insurance to maintain this sports capital that's home to seven pro teams. Las Vegas seems to want the same thing. They've made a move in sports lately, right? Mm -hmm. They got the Golden Knights. They yep. Got, they got the Raiders. Yeah. Maybe in the market for a Major League Baseball team? They might be. Uh, not the Diamondbacks. They better not come try to take the Diamondbacks. Well, I mean, <laughs> is, is, are they 
potentially more attractive than Arizona right now since I can go watch the Diamondbacks in Vegas and make a bet on them. And if I were down at Chase Field, not so. That's a great question. I, I wonder how much of that goes into the discussions that might be had with the um, local tribal um, authorities and the state. I have to imagine that local gaming people and the governor's office look at Vegas and say, why are we continuing to bleed money into Nevada? Why do we continue to let our people, our citizens, our constituents leave the state, spend their money there. We have great restaurants, we have great golf, we have gambling, we have sports. So how much revenue could legal sports betting bring to Arizona to help make up for what's been lost by the virus continuing to severely restrict the sports industry? Stacy estimates that starting out, it could inject 20 to $40 million into state coffers annually. I think it's certainly going to help, but I wanna be very cautious about, you know, people getting too excited. This is not going to save education across the state. Brian Murray says pretty much the same thing. He's a partner at Summit Consulting Group, which does a mix of public affairs, politics, and lobbying. Brian explains that my question about the potential value of legal sports betting as a revenue source for Arizona is too narrow. Well, what I would tell you is that the real value here is to understand the broader gaming package itself. Brian represents the horse racing industry. He wants the tribes to share revenue with his client and agree to let people at tracks bet on a type of simulated race. Sportsbooks could be a way for tribes to increase how much time a customer spends at a casino, he says. And so it's a multiplier effect. Um, I don't think there's a lot of money, per se, in sportsbook. I view it in kind of in that realm. Now, the question, I think, really becomes, you know, the future of gambling is on your phone. Is the governor's office working to renegotiate the gaming pact right now? And can you tell me anything about how that process is going or where we are in that process? Um, so um, we believe that they are. Uh, we've had very positive meetings at the governor's office. We've met with, I think, 22 of all 22 tribes. Uh, and both the governor's office and the tribes have uh, dutifully informed us that they're under a non-disclosure agreement. A draft of a new deal between the state and tribes could come as soon as the 2021 legislative session, Brian thinks. State officials said tribal gaming contributions from July 2018 through June 2019 hit a record $111.3 million. Brian says it could be way more. I think you could go up to easily $400 million in a state tribal revenue share allow them to have additional gaming opportunities, uh, which could be sportsbook, which could be other things. Combo this with some creative tweaks to the state lottery, he says. And I think you could, you know, our clients, a horse racing industry, you could allow us to at least try and, and survive. Um, but if you do all three components, you could put together a revenue package, six, seven hundred million dollars in new revenues that are not a tax increase, they will go directly to the general fund. A lot of money easily accessed by a legislature that Brian says does not have a lot of, quote, gravy to fight over. And it would be a change from the current practice of putting different sized chunks of gaming contributions into buckets like local government, education, and tourism. Brian traces his knowledge of gaming back nearly 20 years to Capitol Hill and working for the late Arizona Senator John McCain. Uh, but also for Congressman Hayworth and for Congressman Renzi, 
Uh, but Congressman Hayworth was really the House component to a lot of what Senator McCain had done on IGRA. IGRA is the acronym for the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act, which the sports gaming lawyer Daniel said may block tribes from mobile sports betting. McCain co-authored this law that passed in the late 1980s. There were deals and legal fights over gambling in Arizona over the next decade plus. Then voters narrowly passed a gaming compact with 17 tribes in 2002. I think now gaming is more widely accepted. It's almost like what you see in marijuana legalization. Over time, there's becoming more of an acceptance. But I think the difference is, and this is something that I think the tribes have not done well, is explain why they should have a complete monopoly on gambling. And when you talk to rank-and-file members of the legislature, both Republicans and Democrats, or when you talk to people just in general, people don't understand why is it they should have a monopoly. And I think that's kind of the root issue that the tribes face uh, in Arizona. What say you? Should they have a monopoly? Well, I mean, uh, it's... It's complicated, right? I think that uh, from my personal standpoint, you know, I, I view them as that they're sovereign nations, right? And I think their sovereignty allows them to do certain things. However, what they're talking about is introduced broad gambling. There should be a benefit to the people of Arizona, right? They shouldn't just be a special class of citizens that get you know, millions, billions of dollars without giving something back. And I would suggest that right now they don't give much back. The Tohono O'odham Nation recently gave $1 million each to the University of Arizona and Arizona State University for COVID research. So I think there should be uh, legalized gambling um, with a greater share for the state. Do I think it should be exclusive to just the tribes? I, I don't. This world now with the introduction of smartphones and technology, that if you're an adult and you want to gamble on a baseball game or go to the horse track, uh, which is currently legal, you should be able to do so. Uh, I'm not here to be the nanny state. Um, I, I just think the state got a bad deal in Prop 202, and it needs to be fixed. Brian says allowing digital sports betting and keeping with the tradition of letting tribes control the vast majority of gambling in Arizona would stir controversy. Because that would be off-reservation gambling, uh, that isn't currently authorized in, in the compact. And I think you would run into very stiff opposition at the legislature if all of a sudden there was broad off-reservation gaming. In the 1990s, when there were court battles over tribal gaming and state deals got inked, Grant Woods was Arizona Attorney General. Some people wanted gaming everywhere, some people uh, wanted it nowhere. And then this, this idea, let's have it just on the reservations, to me made total sense because it was a way for us to help the tribes but not have it be like Nevada where you go to the grocery store and you got a slot machine there you know what if the owner of a local team wants to put a sports book in their venue I don't have any problem with saying no to everyone except the tribes on gaming period now that was my view 20 years ago I haven't changed my mind on I think it's worked out pretty well and I would say if I thought eh, this doesn't make sense anymore I think it does make sense Grant acknowledges that casino ads are everywhere, and the omnipresence of gambling was something he hoped wouldn't come. Like Brian, he compares broader social acceptance of gambling to the public's change in view on pot. Grant calls legal sports betting in Arizona inevitable. It makes sense to me that you would do it the same way you've done uh, casino gaming and have it just be the sports book places just be on the reservation. People can drive out there. 
Yeah, what you do about phones and stuff like that, I don't know. Thanks for listening to Empty Seats. It was reported, written, and produced by me, Matthew Casey. My editor is Michel Marisco. The logo is by Ambar Favela. Special thanks to Tiara Vian, the KJZZ web team, and to general manager John Hoban. Empty Seats is dedicated to the memory of mi gran amigo Mauro. Por él aprendí el español and how to play fantasy football. We went to the last Cardinals game held at Sun Devil Stadium on Christmas Eve in 2005. Man, I wish we could relive that day. For KJZZ Original Productions, I'm Matthew Casey.